Here we go. You're listening to Monday's Law and Gospel on this, what, July the 3rd in the year of our Lord 2023. What happened to June? Well, we're in July, and we're looking forward to talking to you today about readings for the following Sunday, which is the sixth Sunday after Pentecost. That will be on July the 9th, 2023. They're from Zechariah chapter 9, Romans chapter 7, and Matthew chapter 11. And if you ever want to email me and ask a question, my email address is tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. So we have... Three good readings today. Which one should we go with? Well, we're going to be going right now with Romans chapter 7. Paul is speaking, and he is really talking about how we are in our natural state. That is prior to the time when the Holy Spirit gives us faith. He says in verse 14, chapter 7 of Romans, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. Now, what does Paul mean by that? That we do not understand our own actions when we sin. It kind of reminds us of what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And that's what Paul says in verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, What he's talking about is, as a Christian, he desires to follow the will of God, to obey God's commandments. But he's unable to do that because of his old Adam. And therefore, he not only has deeds, but also words and thoughts that he really hates. And therefore, he says in verse 16, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, what does he mean by that? You see, we pastors don't just read the text and tell you this is what it says. We also are to tell you what it means And that is why you need a full-time pastor trained in the Hebrew and the Greek to help you understand this. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And therefore, I agree that the law is good. Why is the law good? Because it's not the law It's sin that causes my problems. And the law reminds me 
of what sin I'm doing. Why is that important? Well, it's kind of like, let's say you go to a buffet and you have all kinds of food that you can choose. But somebody tells you, I think their shrimp is a little old. Well, that's a warning to you not to eat the shrimp in that buffet. That is very good that you are told that to keep you from becoming sick. And that's what the law does. In fact, it's the ministry of John the baptizer. Remember, he had a baptism of repentance. What does that mean? It means that he was trying to help you understand that you need a savior, that you are doing things that you hate. And he preached the law. Preaching the law is very important for a pastor. And yet in many churches, people don't like to hear the law. Why? Because it accuses them of sin. And nobody likes to hear that they are a sinner. In fact, many a time, they try and give an excuse. It all began with our first parents. Adam and Eve, God accused them of sin, that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they began to make excuses. That woman you gave to me, she caused me to sin. Or that serpent you allowed in the Garden of Eden, he deceived me. Well, the fact of the matter is, no, they themselves did the sin. Yes, they were tempted, but that's what we as humans find all the time. We're tempted by the ways of the world. And therefore, it's very difficult for us to know at times when we are sinning or not. And that's why the law is good. It reminds us of our sin. He goes on to verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Now that's really an important phrase that Paul puts in there. Because you really have two hearts you have the heart you're born with, which is a sinful heart. And then you have the heart that David asked for in the Psalms. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And that is the heart of faith that the Holy Spirit gives you. And when you have that heart of faith, then Paul continues for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And therefore, if I do what I do not want, 
It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now the I he's talking about is the new man in Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember that the Holy Spirit, when you receive it in baptism, gives you fruit of faith rather than the fruit of sin. What's the fruit of faith? It's you now believe in Jesus who died so that you will never really die and who lives so you also will live eternally. And when you thank him for what he has done, that begins what is called the life of sanctification. And you are able to therefore do what Jesus wants you to do. It's not a perfect life because you continue to sin, but that sin is forgiven, which means that in Christ, you are not held responsible for its evil consequences. Verse 21, Romans 7. So I find it to be a law. Now the word law here, best understood as a principle. This is the principle of life. That when I do, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I've given this example many a time on the program, but in case you haven't heard me, I'm walking down the street and a lady in front of me is carrying her groceries and the bag breaks and it falls to the sidewalk. So I come up to her and I help pick up her groceries and put it in her car. Hello, I think we're back on the air right now, except we're back on through the telephone. We were talking in Romans chapter 7 where Paul talks about, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. He says, I got the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. So he says it's sin that dwells within him. He finds it to be a law. That means a principle. This is verse 21 of Romans 7, that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, what's the inner being? That's the new heart that God replied to Adam. I'm sorry, to David. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. That inner being is in a war against your old Adam. In fact, he even talks about that war in verse 23. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. Because his mind now desires to obey the will of God. But this other is making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And here he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me 
from this body of death. And then he says, verse 25, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it is through Jesus Christ our Lord that we are saved. Now, we can find that out even more from the Old Testament reading, from Zechariah chapter 9. Here's how it begins. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Now, who's the daughter of Zion? Well, Zion, of course, is the hill upon which Jerusalem was built. Being the daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, it says. Now, how are we a daughter of Jerusalem or Zion? Because we're part of the body of Christ. He is the groom. We are the bride. And therefore, we should be rejoicing greatly and shouting aloud. Why is that? Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Now that's really in the Old Testament. It talks about the king coming to us, of course, would be Jesus Christ. The same thing that Romans talks about. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do we give thanks to Jesus? Because he not only is our king, but he is coming to you, and he is righteous, and he has salvation. Now, you cannot find any other religion that has a God with that kind of understanding. It just doesn't occur. God doesn't take place in coming to his people to save them. In every other religion, take a look at Hinduism, Muslim, Jehovah Witness, Christian Science, anything that is non-Christian, they will tell you what works you have to do. And if you're able to do those works, then you're saved. But no, in Christianity, your king, who is Jesus Christ, is righteous, and he has salvation. And how does he come to us? Does he come in a great cloud? Well, occasionally he does in the Old Testament. But in Zechariah, listen to this promise. He comes humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Guess what? That's talking about Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. And many of the people are rejoicing at that, but for the wrong reason. They think he's coming to become king of Israel to get rid of Herod and Pontius Pilate to overcome the Romans. And like he did with the feeding of the 5,000, to give people enough food, enough shelter, enough money to live prosperous lives. 
Now, by the way, that will happen, but it's called heaven. And as Jesus says, he hasn't come to bring peace on earth. No, because earth is the abode of Satan. He comes to bring peace to you between you and God the Father. Where God the Father is no longer angry with you and your sin. And so Jesus is coming and he shall speak peace to the nations. This is verse 10 of Zechariah 9. This is an Old Testament reading and really helps us to understand when Jesus came in the New Testament. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, the river there could be the River Jordan because when they crossed that and went into the land of Canaan, they brought peace to that land, getting rid of unbelievers. Then verse 11, very important. As for you also... So Zechariah is talking to his congregation. Because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now, what's that talking about? Well, the blood of the covenant is the New Testament. That word testament can be referred to as covenant. It's a new covenant that Jesus proclaimed on Monday, Thursday at the Last Supper. It's a covenant of his blood, not the blood of sheep or goats that were over the doorways that allowed the angel of death to pass over the Israelites in Egypt. No, this is the blood of the covenant of Jesus whose blood now saves us from sin. And we are set free from the waterless pit. The waterless pit is where there is no opportunity, for example, to take care of your thirst. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the Samaritan well? Believe in me. For I am one who can give you water from which you will never be thirsty. Oh, she was so glad to hear that. And when she came to realize that she was talking to the Messiah, what did she do? She went back into town and she began to tell the people how wonderful things were and that perhaps she had met the Messiah. And they believed her. But then they went out, and Jesus stayed with them for some time, and they believed his words. Now, these were Samaritans. These were people that were not of the Jewish nation. And remember, when Jesus sent out his disciples, they were not to go to the Samaritans or the Gentiles. That was the job of another apostle namely Paul, apostle to the Gentiles. And he went out 
and preach the message. That's why we have so many books of the New Testament written by Paul, writing to the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Corinthians, and others. And then these messages were shared with other churches, and that's how they came to believe in a new way of salvation. Not by their sacrificing their animals, but by God the Father sacrificing his Son, whose blood of the covenant then wiped away the sins of every person on the earth. And the only people that do not go to heaven are those who do not believe that good message. It's called the gospel. And that was what Jesus came to preach. In the Gospel of Mark, he talks about preaching repentance of sin and the gospel. And the word gospel refers to the promises connected to the incarnation, the suffering, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Those promises are where we find the gift of the forgiveness of sins, where God now no longer holds you accountable for your sin. As we talked about in earlier weeks, you are free from sin. That doesn't mean that you don't sin. It means you don't pay the spiritual consequences of that sin in heaven. No, you do pay here on earth in the secular world, but when you get to heaven, there is no payment of sin because Jesus paid for everything. So Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 12, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Did you hear that? It's Jesus who's going to restore to you your salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. We're not on the air tomorrow, being July 4th. Join with us again, God willing, on Wednesday at 9.30. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.